0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Through the month of August, we've been talking about the big theological theme of salvation. We've sort of been talking around this theme. Salvation is one of those big church words that gets thrown around a lot. that comes up in our liturgies here and there. Like all language, it's symbolic and metaphorical. It's a sort of shorthand word to talk about a whole world of meaning behind salvation. So we've been playing in that world of salvation, allowing biblical stories to capture our imagination for what God is doing in us and in our world and how we get in on it. So three weeks ago, Adam talked about salvation in Eucharistic language, that the pattern we see in the great thanksgiving, the prayer at the table when we have communion, follows this pattern of taking bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it. The same pattern we see in Jesus' life, that God takes blessings, blesses, breaks and gives Christ for the healing of the world. And it turns out that that pattern is also true for us, that God takes us and blesses us and in our brokenness sends us out to be a gift and a blessing to the world. Two weeks ago I was talking about salvation as healing an original wound. If salvation has to do with God dealing with our sin, We contextualize our sins in a bigger story of sin, the big reality of a fallen world with broken structures and wounded people that produce more wounded people. And so, rather than God being angry and standing in judgment over us, salvation is discovering that God sees us as we are and has compassion and wants to heal us. And knowing that God sees us as we are and is compassionate with us, then we can see others as they are and be compassionate with them. And last week Gary talked about salvation as hospitality, as radical hospitality, that God welcomes us into God's family and we then extend that welcome to others. Today I want to talk about salvation as liberation. The book of Exodus begins with our reading this morning, setting the scene for God's big saving work, that great liberating, delivering motif in the Exodus story when God will bring God's people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It becomes the defining moment for Israel. It will be reflected back in the ritual of the Passover. It comes up again and again in Psalms. And the first Jewish followers of Jesus would view the lens. This would be the the lens they viewed Jesus through. It was through this Exodus event, this liberating work. They understood who Jesus was and what He was doing through that lens of Exodus. So the backstory was that God's people had fled a widespread famine and come to Egypt, where one of their own, Joseph, had gone through great adversity Remember, his brothers have thrown him into a pit and sold him slave traders. He ends up in Egypt and rises through the ranks to become sort of second in command to Pharaoh, and because of his gifts for interpreting dreams, they discovered a famine was coming and were able to plan ahead, and so Egypt had all these rations. You might remember that at the very beginning of the story of the people of Israel, God calls Abraham and Sarah, and he makes them three promises. One of the promises is, I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And here is that promise being fulfilled in Egypt, where Joseph has helped the Egyptians prepare for famine. And indeed, God's own people are saved from starvation through this. But time passes, and a new pharaoh comes up who we are told did not know Joseph. Now one wonders why. Why did the Joseph stories slip away? As a prince in the royal family, did his tutors just forget to pass on the story? Were they afraid for their culture and customs? As this Hebrew people grew in number and power, maybe they were seen as a threat to the cultural hegemony of Egyptians Or did the Egyptians just see themselves as racially superior and subjugating the Hebrews was a kind of divine right they possessed? Whatever the motive, Pharaoh and the Egyptians closed themselves off from the blessing of living together with these others, with these Hebrews. It's always valuable to step back and pause when we're reading these stories and ask, where do I fit in this story? Who are the characters of the people that I identify with? And certainly for most of the Anglican Church's history, especially in Europe and North America, I think it would be difficult for us to identify with the Israel people as slaves. But this Exodus story has been a great source of strength and encouragement for those who are oppressed, who do identify with the slaves, people for whom liberation and deliverance are very real, practical, and immediate needs. Many whose faith has led them to work and fight for human rights have found friends in the Exodus story, especially in people like Shiphrah and Pua, the midwives, the Bible's first exemplars of civil disobedience. Pharaoh had given the order to the midwives that they were to kill every male child who was born right there. Of course, Shipra, who I don't do, and they come back to Pharaoh with this white lie that, oh, the Hebrew women, they're they're made of tough stuff. They deliver these children too quickly. We can't even get there in time. They uh, sort of anticipate the words that Jesus will later speak, be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But these great heroes, of the Exodus story, are people who would inspire the likes of Rosa Parks. They would be forerunners for people like Julia Foote, a woman preacher of the 19th century who, even at the cost of excommunication from her church, followed God's call to preach at a time when the institution wouldn't allow her. The people of God have always needed brave women like these to speak against the evils of racism and sexism, and to leave the church where God calls it. And this is salvation, a here and now liberation from oppression, an end to slavery, an end to racism, sexism, classism, any ism that its one group of people above another. Just as God delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, God works with people today to bring release to captives. There's another dimension to liberation. It isn't only good for those who are being liberated. It's good for their oppressors, too. Think of the damage done to a soul by holding others down, by profiting off the struggle and suffering of others. That needs healing too. The hardened heart needs liberating. But as anyone who has had a knee or any other joint replaced, I think there are a few in this room, you know the path to healing can first lead through some pain. And that's the case here. Sometimes our spiritual healing and liberation will be painful as we recognize ways we've participated actively or complicitly in oppressive systems. But the payoff for the pain is worth it. We need all the gifts of those who are different from us. We need everyone to be free, to be liberated, to be delivered, to become the fullness of the people God made them to be, because they are a gift to this world. We need women released to offer their gifts wholly to the world, and to be properly compensated for them. We need people of every race, free to offer their wisdom to the world. This evening is the citywide Interfaith Pride Service at Beth Seda. At that service, faith communities from across the city will stand up and share why LGBTQ people are a blessing to the Church and to the world. Salvation means liberation for everyone. Liberation for Pharaoh and the Egyptians from their need to dominate and in the process lose their souls. Liberation for Shifra and Pua from the choice between their lives and livelihoods or their integrity, for the enslaved Israelites from their direct and violent oppression. So may God liberate us and make us agents of that liberation that is God's will, that it might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.